to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. This is a live call-in show. We'll give you the number in a little while so you can call, make your comments, and uh, have a discussion. And also want to tell you that if you want to get a hold of the book that we're uh, putting out there, either at a cost or if uh, for free if you can't afford it, uh, it's been endorsed by a number of uh, reputable people. And uh, the comment I hear from it mostly is that it's not typical anti-Mormon literature, but a book in which you can trust. All right, we, uh, I wanna also give a shout out, if we can, to all the prisoners out there. I wanna give a shout out to people who are prisoners of sin. Welcome, we have a message that we know will liberate you. I wanna give a shout out to the prisoners at the point of the mountain, our, uh, my brothers out there and sisters, I guess. So we uh, say hello, and we also know that there is a way for you to be free. And a shout out to people who are prisoners of religion of religion that has nothing to do with God. We uh, say that there is an answer for all people who are prisoners of sin and, um, uh, or a prisoner in a jail or prisoner to a religion, and that is a heartfelt prayer to Jesus Christ and asking for uh, forgiveness and asking to be born again, and He will be dutiful in doing that. So we wanted to say hello to all the, the sinners out there and the people who are, are trapped. We also want to say thank you to our viewers for telling other people about the show, for sharing it with your friends and getting them to call in. Our website, everything is going uh, off the Richter because of your interest and your word of mouth. So we thank you for that. Um, we also want you to know that we get emails and phone calls from people who have been born again. And we are so grateful for this experience and we attribute that to the Lord completely and for your prayers and for your faith. So thank you very much. Uh, we praise God. Finally, I want to give a shout out to RJR. Uh, RJR provided me with this fine Heart of the Matter shirt tonight. And, uh, and so I want to thank you for the good friend that you are. I love you to death. Thank you so much. All right, let's begin with the word of prayer, if we can. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We have a very important message tonight, Lord, on one of the most important things in the Christian life. And so we pray that your spirit will be with us here in the studio everybody who's here and with everybody who's watching we just ask that you'll pour that spirit out we'll be able to have a dialogue and a discussion about these important matters in jesus name amen okay in matthew chapter 4 jesus had just finished fasting for 40 days was in the wilderness and was hungry fittingly the devil showed up and offered three temptations trying to get him to go away from the mission that he was there to do each of Satan's offers were rejected by Jesus. And each of the rejections were met with these words by the Lord himself. It is written. It is written. Satan, it is written. <clears throat> to what was Jesus referring when he said it is written? How could Jesus trust such ancient writings? Why didn't Satan question Jesus as, as to the validity of the translation of those writings? We stand today in a precarious place. Since time immemorial, men and women have done all they can to attack the Word of God, saying that it's faulty, that it's insufficient, that it's not translated properly, that it's contradictory. Scholars of supposed higher criticism have consistently challenged the Word of God, Time and time again, they have been proven wrong. Now, we expect 
the world to hate the Word of God. We expect faithless academics and the sinful and the proud to mock it and hate the Bible. But what is especially disconcerting is when people who call themselves Christians, who maintain that they're Christian, who join the fray to discount and legitimize and bastardize the Word of God and say that it can't be completely trusted. Mormonism has clearly been among the scoffers, and it is my opinion that the greatest crime the LDS Church has done regarding its members is to get them to not trust the Bible completely. Tonight's show is dedicated to understanding the Bible, its history, where it came from, what it is, so that you can wholly trust, wholly believe, and wholly rely upon it as an authentic and authoritative source of information from God. I am committed to the idea that when Jesus said it is written, that it was written. And it was written by inspired men of God with God's message. So let's get into it and lay out a very general outline um, that leads to the Bible's authenticity and strength, not its weaknesses. First, the Bible did not come down to us by a fax machine from heaven. God breathed it into existence, using human beings to bring it forth and out to the masses. These human beings were very different men, with different missions, different backgrounds, different insights. 66 different books, written by 36 or 37, they think, maybe more, different human revelators. All of them came from three different continents. In at least three different languages, it has been translated and come from, maybe more. And all of this took place over a period of time of at least 1,500 years. That is amazing. Why is that amazing? Because the Bible does not contradict itself. All these different authors and books, all these different languages and time frames and periods and cultures and peoples presented God's Word in a way that is so whole and so perfect that it can be trusted. Why did Moses write? Was it so that we could later consider what he wrote untrustworthy? Why did God have prophets record revelations? So believers could read it and wonder if it was from him or not, if it was translated correctly or not, so we could question every word, so we could doubt it when we read it? The prophets wrote it. Jesus quoted it. I believe it. That's all there needs to be, in my opinion, for myself. Two, the individual books did not derive their authority and authenticity because they were selected to be in the Bible. Each of the books came from God first and simply waited to be gathered and included in the holy book. In other words, men or a church or councils did not make the books of the Bible inspired because they chose to include them. They were put in the Bible because God authored them in the first place. And the people who put the Bible together could see what was God authored and what was not. There's a huge difference between writings becoming inspired because they were included in the Bible and the books being included in the Bible because they were inspired by God in the first place. 
the cynics, the unbelievers, take the former position. The faith-filled people take the latter. Three, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, were already considered authoritative scripture by the time Ezra around the 5th century BCE. Did you know that God considers his word of higher importance than his own name? We're so careful about not saying the Lord's name in vain or using the Lord's name wrongly. And I'm not about using it wrongly at all. But Psalms 138.2 says, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Think about this. Consider this, you arrogant scoffers of the Bible, of God's word. He considers it above his own name. Let me let you in on a little secret. The Bible must be called into question by men who want people to believe their philosophy. If a man has a philosophy, he's going to say the Bible cannot be trusted. Because if he can get people unmoored from the true word of God, he can get them to believe his view of what was supposed to happen. The Bible takes care of that beginning to end, and it has the answers that any man can give you. Four, without going into exhaustive detail, the Old Testament scribes and scholars were exacting, tedious, and relentless in, relentless in transcribing God's word. If a mistake was made, the whole parchment or scroll was destroyed. Writing the name of God was particularly a precarious action, as they would trash the whole thing they were on if God's name was messed up in any way. Often they would change their clothes if they did something wrong with God's name, and the pen they were using, they would change all that if they made a mistake just writing the name of God. When the, scribe finish, when the scribes finish uh, copying a, partic a particular scroll or piece or parchment, they would count the words of that, and then they would look at what they had described, transcribed it from and count the words of that. If there was a mistake, they threw everything they did away. They also noted the middle word in the middle of the book they were working on. And when they finished their work, they would go to the, find the middle word, and they would see if it compared with the middle word of the transcript they came from. They would also look at the middle letter of the book. If they weren't the same, they would throw the other one away. All of these things were checks and balances to ensure that what they were recording and writing was handed down as it was given them by God. Older manuscripts were often destroyed as newer ones were completed, not because the older ones uh, had changes or the newer ones were changed, but because of respect. The older ones were considered more worn. They were discarded. They knew that the new ones were fine, and they would keep the new ones and keep using those until they were worn out. The Dead Sea Scroll findings proved by a thousand years earlier how exact the process of scripture writing, uh, scripture recording was. Five. Around 285 BC, 70 Jewish scholars came to Alexandria and under the direction of the Ptolemies translated the Old Testament, what the Jews called the Tanakh, from Hebrew into Koine Greek. The resulting translation is called the Septuagint. It provided a tremendous bridge between the world of the Hebrews to the world of the Greeks. And the Septuagint was written 285 years before Jesus was even born. 
The existence of the Septuagint essentially validates the Old Testament books as being authentic. Six, there was a time span of about 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. They call this the intertestamentary period. And the heavens were silent during these years. During this time, many of the books of the Apocrypha were written. Apocryphal books were not to, uh, considered inspired by the Christians or the Jews of Pal or the Christians of Palestine or the Jews, but it was included in the Septuagint, and it's also included. Many of the uh, apocryphal books are included in the Roman Catholic Church Bible today. We're going to discuss some, a few differences between these uh, apocryphal versions and Gnostic versions in a second. The terms number seven, Old Testament and New Testament, originated with the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31 31 the word testament means covenant it's another word for covenant and Jesus being the long-awaited Messiah came and made the new covenant for the chosen people the old covenant contains amidst history and, and poetry prophecies pointing to Jesus the new covenant amidst parables and historical events provides the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies some of the prophecies found in the Old Testament include Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus would be forsaken by his disciples. Jesus would be silent before his accusers. He would, uh, they would cast lots for his garments. There would be darkness over the land. Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb. All of these came from Old Testament prophecies. And there are many, many more. Number eight. By the time Jesus was 12 years old, the Old Testament had been translated, copied, and recopied and brought forth over a 1,400-year period of time. In other words, Jesus read and quoted from the writings that were more old or more older to him than the New Testament transcriptions were to the early church, to the church 1,400 years later. In other words, Jesus trusted the, the Bible and the writings of the Bible that were much older to him than the New Testament words of the church. He knew it and he taught it by the time he was 12. Why? Because he trusted it. Do you recall what Jesus said in Mark 13, 31? He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. In the Greek, this reads, Aranos kai ge parakomai, De mo lagos parakomai ome parakomai. Why this is important is the ome part is that will not pass away. It is a double negative. In other words, it would read something like heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never, ever, not ever, in no way ever, impossible for them to ever pass away. And yet, there are groups out there who wonder if it can be trusted. God's word has either passed away since Jesus said uh, it wouldn't and it makes him a liar or it has remained intact, proving him to be truthful. You decide what you want to believe regarding God's word. I trust the latter. I trust God is true to his promises. Where do you place your trust? In your opinions? What you think the Bible should say or does say, or do you place it in the Bible? Do you place it in notions or feelings? Do you place it in books without any history or substantiation that you have been told are true? 
and genuine and authentic but have absolutely no proof? Or do you believe the Word of God? Number nine. The Gospel of the New Testament, Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are actually a continuation of the Old Testament. They speak of Jesus coming to her earth, his ministry among God's chosen people, and their rejection of him. It is fulfillment. It is a continuation of the Old Testament. Jesus came to show him that he was the only way because he was the only one that was righteous. He proved to them through almost every word he spoke that they were sinful and they needed him. He also came, of course, to pay for our crimes. The actual New Testament doesn't really begin until chapter 2 of the book of Acts. That's the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, as Jesus promised, and the church really gets it beginning then, and that's when the new covenant begins, the New Testament. Ten, after the day of Pentecost, those first-hand witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ and those closely associated with them wrote letters and revelations as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Before these writings were ever collected and included in what we call the New Testament, they were considered Scripture. Let me read to you from 2 Peter 3.15, where Peter equates Paul's letters as Scripture. Now listen to this. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, said Paul's writings were scripture. He uses it in that context. Check it out yourself, 2 Peter 3.15. After John recorded Revelation, the Holy Spirit ceased to inspire men to write. If you read Genesis all the way through Revelation, you can see in the context of why this is important. From Genesis to Revelation, the purpose of the Bible was to point to Jesus. Nothing more in terms of writing is needed to accomplish this. The Old Testament said he was coming, the Gospels said he came, and the New Testament said how to follow him in spirit and in truth. What else has to be said? It's not that God has stopped speaking to men and women today. I believe he speaks to us all the time through his spirit and his word. But canonical writings are another matter. The word canon in classical Greek is properly understood as a straight rod, a rule in the widest sense, a rule of faith, a rule of truth. That's what canon is. When the canon or rule of truth was complete and testifying of and pointing to Jesus, from Genesis to Revelation, there is no need for more. None. Especially when additions are introduced that are in opposition to what the Bible says. 11. There were several factors early church Christian leaders took into consideration in deciding what to include and exclude from the rule of truth or the canon. Here are the major considerations. The book had to have a history of being included in Christian worship. The book had to have a connection to an apostle of Christ. 
The book had to have evidence of power in the lives of believers. The book had to maintain a consistency of doctrine. Now let me give you an example. In the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, it quotes Jesus as saying this, Lucky is the lion that the human will eat, so that the lion will become human. And foul is human that the lion will eat, and that the lion will still become human. Does that sound like it fits within the, within the doctrinal context of something Jesus would say? No, this is the book of Thomas, which is so popular now among people who embrace Gnostic Gospels. All right? It doesn't sound consistent. The compilers of the Bible also said the book had to ratify Christian virtue and spiritual values. The book had to be in harmony, unity, regardless of prose or style. Quoting from the first 14 of the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, we read again. Listen to this. The Gnostic Gospel. If you fast, you bring sin upon yourselves, and if you pray, you will be condemned. And if you give to charity, you will harm your spirits. Does that sound like something Jesus would say? No, and so it wasn't included. Now, Latter-day Saints are very big on looking through the Bible and seeing books that aren't included and saying, where are they? They've been lost. They've been taken out. No, it's simply put, they laid out the books all before them. They went through them. Very serious men who love the Lord, who gave their lives for this. And they put it together and they excluded books that had junk like this in it. Very simple. Tertullian states that by 150 AD, the church in Rome had compiled a list of New Testament books that matches the Protestant Bible today. The Murray Anton canon fragment dating at 170 AD lists the same New Testament books that we have in the Protestant Bible today. If we take a look at all the writings of the early church fathers from Irenaeus to Justin Martyr to Polycarp to Ignatius and Clement, all but 11 verses of the present day New Testament can be found and compiled from their writings alone. So we know that those manuscripts and transcripts were around at the time the early church fathers were doing all their theological writings. In other words, the entire New Testament text, with the exception of 11 verses, is quoted in the very, very earliest church writings. Number 12, the last one. The Bible can either be wholly trusted or it cannot. There's no middle ground. It is either translated correctly or it's not. It's really simple. Why do I say this? Listen to this quote from The Bible is an Insufficient Guide by LDS Apostle Orson Pratt. This is what he says about the Bible that we just talked about. Add all this imperfect information to the uncertainty of the translation and who in his right mind could, for one moment, suppose the Bible in its present form to be a perfect guide? Who knows that even one verse of the whole Bible has escaped pollution so as to convey the same sense that it did in the original? That is sick. That is the greatest tragedy that Mormonism has perpetrated upon its members that they look at the Bible and they're constantly wondering, is that true or is it mistranslated? See, if you say that the Bible is not translated correctly, you'll believe in it, but parts of it aren't translated correctly. How do you know what parts those are? How do you know which verses may or not be? And so you have to take the whole thing and you look at it with a scant. You look at it with suspicion. And that's the crime of Mormonism perpetrated upon the Word of God. 
You can stand on the rock. You can stand on the word of God. And they have made it so that when you read it, you question its validity. That's a crime. And really, the bottom line crime is the purpose of the Bible was to present Jesus as the answer, to show what he did when he came, and to show how to walk with him while you're here. And because Latter-day Saints do not believe in the uh, validity of the Bible, they don't know Jesus. This is the whole, how it all boils down. They don't have the manual to understand him because they can't give it the credit that it deserves. I know I've been strong on this tonight, just like I was strong on the Book of Mormon last week. We have some very ugly emails I'm going to read. But let's open the phone lines, and we're going to Jay, first-time caller, on line four. Jay, you're on line four. Okay, Sean, thanks. It's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. I'd like to uh, maybe offer an opposing point of view. Okay. We all believe in the Bible as the Word of God, right? Uh, are you LDS? I am. Okay, you don't believe it's the Word of God unless it's no, translated no, correctly. Not, I didn't say that. I said we all believe that it is the Word of God. That's not true. Okay, Joseph Smith said that... Uh, I don't care what he said. Okay, but can I make my comment? You can. Uh, Joseph Smith said that we believe in it as far as it's been translated correctly. Okay. Uh, now, we all know that God is a perfect human... I mean, a perfect being, right? Yeah. Okay, in the Bible... There are some inconsistencies where it says that God repented of his ideas. That, you know what? That is such a, you know what? It is just amazing that you're using that verse well, to show the Bible as, as inferior. No, you no. realize that it says, the, the, the language that these people used, it doesn't mean the literal repent in the Hebrew in that verse. What does it mean then? It, it means that he just said, I, I, I don't like what I've done here. I don't like what's gone on. That's fine. Well, I mean, it doesn't mean he repented the way a man repents. I am quoting the Bible exactly where it said God You're repented. quoting it in English? Beg your pardon? You're quoting it in English? It's, what do you mean recorded in English? No, you're, you're quoting it in English, right? I read right. Okay, well, get out, get out a, simple, um, uh, a simple commentary in the Hebrew and see exactly what the Hebrew scholars think God meant when he said he repented. Before you make a mountain out of that very small linguistic molehill. I'm trying to give you a different point of view. I know the point of view because I was LDS for 40 years and I'm hot on this subject because I don't like you calling and, and then kind of you're even on the air making people question the word of God. And that does, it just doesn't flow with me. No, I get not. mad about two things and this is one of them. I'm not questioning the word of God. I'm just saying that. You're saying, what are you saying about it saying that he repented? What do you mean by bringing that up? Tell us. The that the transcribers of the Bible made mistakes when they translated it. <clears throat> they used the wrong word because oh. we know that God can never repent of an idea or, or, or a thought because he's perfect. Mm -hmm. So all we're saying is that they used the wrong word where okay. they should have said that the person he was talking to repented rather than God repented. Okay, Jay, and how many of those mistakes are there according to you? Uh, there are about five. I can, I can quote so, right here. So, so five from... Did you hear the introductory comments on the Bible? I did. Okay, so you, there's things that you say, and then after those five, you're fine with the Bible and everything it talks about? I'm always fine with the Bible. I'm just saying there's certain parts of it that, that might need a second opposing opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, I have no problem with an exegetical view of the Bible and taking it and really breaking down the words and seeing what the history and the background and the context of the uh, verses. No problem at all. That's what scholars do all the time. 
But I do believe that the Bible is inerrant. And on the other hand, you're calling and giving me a very soft approach that the Bible has maybe five inconsistencies in it. These are five that I looked up. There, there, there are others. Okay, because when I just read that Orson Pratt quote, did you hear that? He says he'd be surprised if there's not one that hasn't been polluted. Well, that's true, but do you, do you think there's any errors in the Bible? I, don't, I think the Bible's inerrant. And let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Okay. I don't believe in verba espissimus. That's the, that's the big term these days about do I believe every single word that I read is inspired? No. I believe that the original transcripts were absolutely accurate, inerrant, and infallible. I agree with that. Okay. And taking that to an extreme, let's say we go to the Marriott Center, Jay. Is it Jay? Okay, and we have 2,000 people all from different languages and different countries, and they carry their version of the Bible in. Okay. And we have a worship session where they worship the Lord, and we have a message where translators give it. I believe if those people's hearts are right, the Bible is infallible and inerrant in teaching them all that God wants them to know. Okay. Do you? Uh, I, I think so, but let me ask you. No, you this. don't. Now, come on now. Don't say I think so. That the Bible has nothing to say about so much of, of what Mormonism represents. Well, that goes to the point that the two people can read the Bible, and each, each one of those persons are going to get a different... You just didn't listen to my example. I did. I, I, I just gave two thousands of different language. Listen, I understand your point, and I'm glad you brought it up, because what you're saying, in, in essence, is what the point I'm making. LDS believe the Bible cannot be trusted unless it's translated correctly. Who translates for them? The Mormon people, right? Yeah, but you didn't answer my question yet. I ask you if you thought there's any mistakes in the Bible. No. one. No. Then how do you explain, uh, you how do you explain uh, Genesis 6-6? Why don't you email me and give me your argument, www.bornagainmormon.com. Email me, give me your argument, and when I have the time, I'll write it out. Okay, that's fair. Okay. That's I'll good. talk to you, Jay. Thank you for calling. Good to talk to you. Okay, bye-bye. Daniel and Orem. Sorry for that hey, long bye. call. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going really well. I emailed you quite a while back, and you didn't email me. What did, what did you ask? Oh, I was just talking about, you know, you've heard many times Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, uh -huh. how Christ established the church on apostles and prophets, yeah. and him being the chief cornerstone. Right. And uh, then I pointed out in Ephesians chapter 4 that it talks about how he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Yeah. And it talks about why he gave them. Yeah. And Edifying, building up the church, the saints, yeah. Perfecting and, the saints. Yeah, and basically it talks about coming to the knowledge of Christ like a perfect man, basically. Okay. And it says, till we all come to a unity of the faith. Okay. So basically what I was trying to point out by that is that it basically claims that we will have those offices until we all come to a perfect unity. I have and, offices? I don't think it says offices. It says First it says apostles and prophets. And that's and a different order than... Pastors and teachers, you got to add those two. Yeah, well, I'm, but I'm just using it in the context of Mormonism, because I'm assuming you're LDS. Oh, uh, you better yeah, the, but you put it as prophets and apostles, and there's just a big difference between the two. We know from Hebrews that Jesus is the final, he's the great prophet, he did everything in the temple that was necessary, he uh, is our great high priest, and, and so what you're offering here is, it's called a literal and selective view. And what you do is you take a certain verse 
and you build a whole big thought on it instead of taking that verse in the context of the whole. And the whole is huge. We're talking about a very big manuscript. When you read the manuscript as a whole, the idea of apostles and prophets, apostles always being first after the ascension of Jesus Christ, is not an office, a prophetic office, as it was back in Malachi's time. It is simply the gift of prophecy. Okay. All right. Well, I, I just, the reason why I brought that up is because you know, I read your, uh, on your website, uh -huh. it says Jesus was the last prophet, right? Do you believe there are any prophets afterwards? I believe that there are people who have the gift of prophecy. But I mean, the Bible specifically says that there were other prophets after him, like one namely in Acts, it talks about Agabus. Yeah, and I believe right. Ag Agabus had the gift of prophecy. But it said he was a prophet. I mean, it didn't say he had the gift of prophecy. I mean, it says he was a prophet. Okay, so I think if you have the gifts of prophecy, you are a prophet. Okay. Yeah, but I don't believe in the in a, in a prophet as as a Moses was a prophet any longer. Jesus Christ is our high priest. I, there's no need for it. It's a regurgitation of Old Testament thinking. Well, the only reason we have the apostles and prophets today is to keep us from the every wind of doctrine and the Bible know, does that, Daniel. The Bible does it completely. If you read your Bible, you don't need to tune into some prophet or apostle telling you what to do. You, I mean, listening to people teach the Bible is very important. you got to hear it preached. But the Bible's sufficient. That's another reason why we don't need prophets and apostles in the way that the Mormon Church has prophets and apostles. Okay, I can respect your view on that one. All right, man. i got to go. we got more. But thank you for your call, for following up with me. Let me finish. What? What's that? You didn't let me finish. Oh, I just wanted to, you, you said the Bible's perfect, and, or basically you said it was... What, it's inerrant. Infallible? Yeah. You said infallible. Yeah, well, it won't fail you, right. Oh, it won't fail you. I agree. I mean, I love reading the Bible. Whenever I preach to people on my mission, I taught straight from the Bible, and then, you know, I bring the Book of Mormon. Of course, because that's how you hook them out there, Daniel, and you know that. What you do is you use the Bible and act all friendly with it, and, and I'm saying this with a smile on my face if you can see the TV, and you get them to think, wow, what a great Christian church, and then they come in and realize they got to do all kinds of temple rites in order to get to heaven. I mean, you got to admit, that's a great bait and switch. <laughs> that's funny. Sean, I love your show. Man. All right, man, thanks for calling. Take care. Bye-bye. We have Pamela in Provo. Pamela, first-time caller. Hey, Sean. Um, I'm bummed out I missed you at Sugar House Park. I've been saved for quite a long time now. I appreciate the calling that God has on you. I just want to shout out to say that the Bible is so perfect. It's a wonderful love letter from Jesus Christ from Nazareth. Awesome. I want to let you know that it's no coincidence that Genesis is in the beginning and Revelation is at the end. Oh, beautiful. And Good comment. also that um, it's just a, it's just so perfect to me in every way, and that um, I have um, witnessed to Mormons, and they have this form of godliness that the Bible speaks about, uh -huh. and that's what um, gets you a little bit um, kind of flared up, and my level can go up because I'll come right at them and say, "Look, can we talk about Jesus Christ from Nazareth? Can we just talk about the sweetness of Him?" And it's almost like they're agitated or bothered if you don't believe in the Book of Mormon. It's like they're not satisfied that you know him, you've been saved, uh, you, you speak in tongues, you've been baptized with fire. All these things that happen to you in a Pentecostal church that never happened to me when I was in a Mormon church. They don't really care. They and just want you to be a Mormon. The thing about it is, um, I try to have that sweetness upon me with them, but I've realized 
that there is a heavy spirit on these people of oppression. Yeah. And they come at you and they'll say, our church is the only true church. Right. And they, and they act like they're being kind, but that will put somebody in a defensive mode. Yeah, I get, I get attacked a lot for the things I say on here. They don't realize that they've attacked the Christian church greatly over the years. They certainly have, and I just want to say you're a soldier for Christ. And I also want to let every Mormon know out there that's listening right now that the God I serve never would ever look at garments. He's looking at our hearts. Amen, sister. Thank you for the call. Bye-bye. You take care. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Okay, we got a few uh, emails to read really quickly. Uh, this says, I'm really surprised you would put a joker on like this who claims to know religion. He has no idea what he is talking about. He is so full of garbage. I have never heard anyone who thinks he knows so much when he knows so little. Why do you give him time on TV without hearing the other side of the story? It's pretty sad if you ask me. I have no respect for someone like this. He's a dirtbag as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for that very much. Thank you. All right. Uh, we're going to, uh, let's see. If you, oh, this person, John, wrote and he said that he wants proof of the things that I'm saying. He's just gonna, not going to take what I He wants historical proof. So what I would suggest, John, is you go to the website, you watch the show that you're curious about, you take notes, and you do your own research. I do mine, you do yours, and you'll find the proof of everything. We are building into our website now. We're redoing it, and every show is going to have backup support materials to help you in that. But uh, in the meantime, you're going to have to look up those questions yourself and prove me uh, wrong, and you're, you won't because you'll, you'll see this stuff I use is right. Uh, this person called, she's angry, saying that I shouldn't attack the Book of Mormon, didn't leave her name. I want you to know that when I talk about the Book of Mormon, uh, would you talk to uh, your child if he was reading a book that he said was true? Let's say he embraced the Quran and that was uh, in, brought in by Muhammad and, and you didn't believe it was true, would you talk against the Quran? Would you talk against Anton LaVey's uh, works? Would you talk against anybody who's written a controversial work? Well, I think you would because you have your beliefs. And I laid out a very good argument for the inauthenticity of the Book of Mormon last week. And I've yet to have anybody call me and say, this is wrong in what you said. All they say is, you're terrible for having done that. Well, I'm going to do it until I'm blue in the face because the people need to read the Bible and need to understand what the Bible says and put that book away. Uh, another call uh, about books. If you've requested books on the phone or email, you're going to get them. We're sending them out to you. Uh, I would like to say that, I, that this person is inaccurate and unfair. A lot of people in the LDS Church believe in Christ, have a witness of Christ, and teach of Christ all the time. I don't know if this guy had a bad experience and he decided not to be Mormon or what. This is up to him, but to say publicly that we don't believe in Christ is hurtful to us because it's untrue. I could just as easily say to you that you don't teach Christ. You just bash up people of your faith. This is not Christ-like, be fair and accurate. Well, I'll tell you about Christ-like. Christ did not equivocate on who he was, what he was there for, and what was acceptable and what was not. Christ called people vipers and hypocrites. Those are ugly words. He didn't hold back on those words. He said them frankly and straightforward because they needed to hear it. I'm going to speak out and I'm going to say what needs to be said. If you want to challenge my experience or knowledge of Mormonism, 
feel free, I think I can back it up. You might be a new viewer, but sometime in the future I'll give you my pedigree again for the church. And I'm just going to continue to say what the Lord wants me to say, and that is that the Bible is the Word of God. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, and it is by grace. All right? Let's go to Merrill and Holiday. Merrill, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, it's good to hear from you again, Sean. Good to hear from you. And uh, new glasses? Yes, sir. Uh, I like, you can see your eyes better. Thank you. Yes, much better. Uh, Sean, let me quote Joseph Smith here. We talked about this in the, in the park a little bit, but I wasn't really prepared. Um, um, Joseph Smith, you asked the learned doctors why they say the world was made out of nothing, and they will answer... Doesn't the Bible say he created the world? And they infer from the word create that it must have been made out of nothing. Now, the word create came from the word baru, barau, uh -huh. pronounce it, B-A-U-R-A-U, yeah. which does not mean to create out of nothing. It means to organize. Interesting. The man would organize materials and build a ship. Hence, we infer that God had materials to organize the world out of chaos chaotic matter, matter, which is element, okay. and in which dwells all the glory. Meryl. Yeah. Okay, that's a good quote, and we got to get to the, the heart of it. Okay. Is that what we're going? Uh, so the point, uh, Joseph Smith uh, taught that all things were created spiritually before they were. Which is in conflict with the New Testament, by the way. It well, says in the New Testament they were not created spiritually, they were physically and then spiritual. And then his point is, if you say creation has a beginning, it must have an end. Okay. Um, that's so that's good God, philosophy. So did God create us out of nothing? Okay, Lucretius is the one, Merrill, who came up with uh, a Thomistic theology, or philosophy. He's the one who came up with uh, the whole idea of particles of matter and everything existing as matter, and it's basically, it boils down, like I said at Heart in the Park, to atheism. The problem with Joseph saying that the word baru is, uh, in the Hebrew means to uh, create out of something already existing is he's taking a lesson he had from some Jewish scholar uh, at the time, and he's using that one example, which is not in Genesis. It's later on where it's used as to create out of uh, uh, existing material. Now, if you talk to Hebrew scholars now and you uh, do the research, I want you to do that for me and call next week and you tell me what they say uh, Barak means. You tell me uh, if it means that. Now, but your personal belief is that God can create things out of nothing. God, God created everything and he can create anything out of nothing. Okay. Uh, my, my opposite point of view, which is uh, Joseph Smith, yeah. is that the elements are eternal. Yes, and that God does not have the capacity to create something out of nothing. All, all, all things are co-eternal. Will you agree with that? God does not have the capacity to create something out of nothing. Is that true in Mormon doctrine? Well, I suppose I suppose it is. It, it is, is true, Merrill. You know it is. Uh, so well, yeah. let's let's uh, let the viewing audience hear that the Mormon God cannot doesn't have the ability to create something out of nothing. The, the elements are eternal, and all elements are co-eternal with God. I, I understand what you're saying, but, but is, 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 is that obje objectionable to you? It's so objectionable to me. It's repulsive to me. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm. You know, I'm emphatic. Don't talk. Don't say. Okay. All right. I'm just. This is me on my show. I get this way. But that's repulsive to me, Merrill. All right. All right. Okay. So we'll just 
agree to disagree again. <laughs> again, Meryl, again. Hey, buddy, thanks for the call. Okay. And we're going on to Shalise in Ogden. Shalise, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, I had a couple questions for you. Yes. My first one is, how can you deny the church after teaching it and believing it for 45 years? Why did you just randomly deny the LDS church? Oh, randomly is a big word, Shalise. Uh, you know what? I was taught uh, from the cradle that the church was true when I went up to bear testimony because all my friends did when I was four. And my mom whispered in my ear, I know the church is true. Not I believe that God lives or Jesus lives. It's I know the church is true. And then I sang Book of Mormon stories that my teacher tells to me instead of the Bible is the word of God. I mean, as you grow up and you're taught that stuff, Shalise, you, you don't have much of an avenue to see the forest for the trees. But what happened was I realized that if I really examined myself, I was a sinner in my heart. Now, I might not have, uh, when I realized that, been acting out on it, but I knew what my heart was feeling toward things, and I was not saved according to what the Bible said. And so I pulled to the side of the road, I prayed to God, and I, in Jesus' name, and I asked Jesus to take over my life, Shalice, and he changed me so radically and made me such a better man that Mormonism, uh, over a course of four more years, became very apparent to me what it was. So do you regret teaching all those children in seminary what you believe is false now? Do I regret it? Yeah, because... Oh, ho horribly. Horribly. You just sat there and taught a million people what you believe to, true and, to be is true, and now you're going against what you taught. I don't understand what you're saying. Say that again. Make it clearer for me. I'm slow tonight. Okay. You taught a bunch of seminary students, right? Yeah. I was a seminary teacher, yes. Okay. How can you just go back on what you taught all those kids? They all believed in you. They sat there through that's, your That's classes. what... That's one of the problems. What, you you're, what you're saying, Shalise, is exactly one of the problems of Mormonism. They believe in the cult of personality. They believe in the men. They believe in the men standing in front of them instead of believing the Bible that they should have been taught from the beginning. If this it weren't is the, for the men on this earth, we wouldn't have as much as we do. You will find out for yourself what you believe in your heart. It doesn't matter what your dad tells you, what or your mom tells you. Exactly. Yeah, your case in point is right. It if you believe it, not what other people Your tell case you in point. And I found out for myself what was true and what was not. So okay. can you give me and that? Okay, I just have one more question. All right, is it a nice one or are you going to hang up? I won't hang up. All right. But before, when the very first caller came, came, called in, sorry, yeah. And you said that he was questioning the Bible and what he believes. Yeah. How are we supposed to learn for ourselves what we believe if we never question anything? You questioned it and found out for yourself what you thought to be right. Well, Isn't that what we should all do? You should. You're right. The problem so is... How did you tell that guy not to question the Bible when he was questioning it to find out for himself? Okay, you believed. want me to answer? I understand what you're saying, Shalise. Listen, the problem was he's calling and telling me in the context of Mormon doctrine. I understand Mormon doctrine very well. I don't need to have someone call and tell me what Mormon doctrine is and why it justifies the things they say and do. I'm not saying don't answer, ask hard questions. I'm not saying, he didn't ask a question. What he was doing was postulating. And I don't need postulations on here. I need people who are calling and wanting to know truth. He didn't. He was calling to teach me something that is not true. And that is that the Bible is fallible. It's not, Shalise. I'm not saying anything 
That's why I'm not bringing up anything like that. Okay. Because I'm not about to fight with you on that. Okay. I have my own beliefs of what's going your on. Your own beliefs are in, insignificant to God's beliefs. If your own beliefs are with God, that is wonderful. If your own beliefs are not in harmony with Him, your own beliefs are nothing but mud. No, I believe God's beliefs. Okay. All right. Praise God. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Karen on line one. Karen and Sandy, first-time caller. Yes. Well, I just, uh, you caught my attention when you started talking about Hebrews. I'm a born-free Mormon. Uh, as in about February, God got a hold of me. Awesome. I actually know Jesus for the first time in my life. Oh, praise God, Karen. Um, and things were scripturally shown to me out of Hebrews, specifically uh-huh. chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. And I think you just talked about it where Jesus is the high priest. Yeah. He rents that temple <laughs> right. uh, curtain for us. And there's no need for it. We are the temples now. That's right. We are the so it was really enlightening, and there is hope out there. Uh, one thing I, I I feel with Mormons, and I and I know this because I've looked at a Mormon missionary training book. Uh-huh. They talk all around Jesus right. and the love of Jesus. You gotta love Jesus. You gotta believe in Him. Yeah. But they never tell these poor people, ask Him into your life. They never do. Never. You're right. That was the key for me. I'm I'm just asking fellow Mormons out there, you know, <laughs> people listen, uh, open up your hearts to this. It is, he is out there. He really is truly out there. It, don't be afraid if you're a Christian. What are you afraid of to ask him into your life and into your heart? Karen, that is, uh, a beautiful call. We could have done the show and just had your call with me shutting my big mouth. And just that alone is the essence of what we're talking about. Let Jesus into your heart and take over your life. Be born again. Uh, boy, I was telling your, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what you call her, the lady. Operator? Calls. Yeah. I said, it, I am a different person inside. Amen. I just didn't even know. I'm, and things were shown to me scripturally. I went and met with the bishop of my old ward here uh-huh. this past week, and I told him, I said, uh, I don't know how to start this meeting. I guess I'll just blur, blur it out. I found Jesus. Wow! What did he say? <laughs> He's like, oh. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And I was scripturally pointed out, spiritually pointed out through a lot of prayer and stuff that I'm not to be here anymore. Wow. Uh, this is not where I belong. Fantastic. Karen, will you... time to talk about family stuff. But at the end, he says, well, if you are at peace with this, I said, I have this. For the first time in my life, I have so much peace you won't even imagine. Hey, even oh, know. that's wonderful. And Karen, will you do me a favor? Will you email your story to me? Yeah, well, one last thing. I did ask God, and I said, if I, when I, before I went to the meeting, I said, if I can plant a seed, I'll do it for you, because there's too many that have been sucked into this. And I, and I said, well, he said, if you've given this a lot of thought, and I said, no, this is a lot of prayer, and yeah. I was answered spiritually on this. Yeah. And I said, but one thing I want you to know was no church came hunting me down. This was all me and God. I I prayed. I asked him into my life, and it was just like, bam. I felt like I can really relate to the Saul-Paul conversion story now because that's how hard it hit yeah. me. Praise God. That's a wonderful testimony. Thank you so much for calling. Please send me your uh, testimony. Okay. All right, Karen. <laughs> Okay. Thanks so much. Take Thank care. Bye bye. 
We have Kyle from Ogden, line two. Kyle, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. Good. Yeah, I have a doctrinal question for you. Okay. Um, it's about the thief on the cross. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put you on Luke. It's messing me up. Okay. Um, in, in Luke 40, or 23, 43, is where Christ tells uh, the you know, the thief that he'll be with him in paradise that day. Let me cut you off really quick. Turn, will you turn your TV down, Kyle? Yeah, yep. Okay, thanks. Okay. Okay, All yeah, right. in Luke twenty three forty three, 43, yeah. is where uh, Christ is on the cross, and he says, hey, today with me. Uh, in paradise? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He talks to the thief. Right. I guess my question is, there's a little bit in, in the book of John, later on, um, when Christ is resurrected, after he's resurrected, uh -huh. uh, Mary of Magdalene hits in there, and he says, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended unto my Father. Right. Um, and so I guess my question is, is, you know, is that paradise, is that really heaven? No. Paradise was the place where all the Old Testament faithful prophets that are mentioned in Hebrews, talking about Hebrews again, they went there, like uh, Abraham or uh, uh, any of them, Joseph, and where all the righteous went because they believed in God's promises. They well, didn't. Any righteous. Any yeah, righteous. Any righteous. There? Yeah. Okay. And there was also a prison where the unrighteous went. And Jesus went to paradise, and you can't imagine probably the uproar that happened when he showed up there, and then he overcame death and came back as a resurrected being, and then ascended to his father. So that's how he said to the thief on the cross, who showed by faith he believed in him, today you're going to be with me in the same place that all these other prophets and things are. Okay. All right? That's okay. Hey, thanks for the call. Thanks. See you later. We got Wayne in Salt Lake City, first time caller. Wayne, you have 30 seconds. Well, yeah, I want uh, just one question. The LDS Church tells me that I can't go to heaven if I don't belong to the church. Right. And my second thing is a comment. You're right. You do look thinner in black. <laughs> are you being nice or are you being mean? No, I'm being nice. <laughs> I, I do, man. I'm looking at my. I'm looking at that TV. I love the shirt, but man, I'm looking bulky. I've yeah. lost big weight. Well, thank you. Thanks for pointing that out. Well, you're welcome. All right, Wayne. You take care, buddy. Will do. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, do look thinner in black. Quickly, uh, let's see. Books. What denomination are, am I? I am not a denomination. I attend Calvary Chapel in uh, Costa Mesa, California, but uh, that's not a denomination. And if it became a denomination, I'd probably find a non-denominational church. I really don't care about uh, the religion or a religion. I just like worshiping the Lord and hearing the word preached. That's what I like. In fact, our church scouts are coming out this week, and uh, they've been really tired lately. But they're coming out, and they're going to be uh, to coming to check some more church churches. Let's see. Wars and all religion, can't we all just get along? That's from Tyler. And uh, Tyler, um, yes, you're right. Jesus said, you know, we are going to have... Uh, uh, brother against brother and father against uh, wife and all these things and plow shares are going to be turned into swords and and it has been a bloody battle because every inch of this universe is under a battle for um, either truth or a lie 
And um, so, Tyler, yes, we can't just all get along. Uh, we have to do all we can to understand Jesus, what he has done for us. And by doing that, we're going to uh, uh, be much better off. Sorry for that answer, but it really wasn't a question that you gave me. Finally, um, I'm very interested in this lecture I have been listening to. I've not heard him before. I want everyone to know that this Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is literally the one our Savior and our Father in Heaven brought back themselves. This is a testimony of Mormonism. I didn't want you to think I would not be the one to expand on this because it is true and the whole world will see it true before long. And uh, I want you to know that the LDS Church, uh, Mormonism, is not the true church. There are people in the LDS Church who I'm certain are going to live with God again, who know Jesus Christ and have a testimony of Him and have turned their lives over to Him and are being led according to His will. But Jesus, when He came to this earth and established the gospel, died on the cross and resurrected, He did not bring brick and mortar down. He did not establish a church of buildings. He established a church of believers. And as you turn your life over to Jesus, as you accept Him as the Savior and know that you're saved by grace, He's building you, the believer, into a wonderful temple that He will someday come soon and recollect. So I want you to know the LDS Church is not true, but Jesus is true, and you can know Him if you just turn it all over to Him. You guys have a great night. Bye. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start to 